hard to maintain the enthusiasm when you're just one guy in a radio studio. And I shouldn't say just one guy in the radio studio because I got producer Dave in here with me today. Hey, Dave, what's up over there, buddy? Wake up. There he is. There's our old producer, Dave. Um, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Benedettiville Small Town Adventures. It is Sunday, January the 13th. It's 3 p.m., and we have an hour's worth of stories. And songs today? Nope, but we got some sponsors, and we have um, some space-age tales from beyond the stars. Um, some fun stuff. Alrighty. Here we go. Oh, you know what I should say? Yesterday, the family, uh, we all drove up and we got to see Aunt Liz. Happy birthday, Aunt Liz. We did a surprise party. That was pretty fun when you all jump out and yell surprise at somebody. Hadn't done that in a long time. Um, so we're going to get into a story, which I'll introduce in a moment. But the flashing red light. Oh, that flashing red light that says it is sponsor time. Doth be a flashing. And because it is Sunday... Sunday always gets me thinking about tasty breakfasts, and that's where this fine local sponsor comes into play. Enjoy. Hey, you. Yeah, you, listening to the radio. Do you love pancakes? Of course you do. Everyone loves pancakes, and that's why you should be subscribing to Pancakes the Magazine. Every month, we'll send you Pancakes the Magazine. Our cover feature this month, David's Grandmother's Buttermilk Pancakes from New Hampshire. See the giant, heavy, spongy, covered in homemade maple butter, delicious, amazing pancakes right there on the cover. See our special features. How much syrup should you drink every day? When to take breaks from pancakes, maybe when you're sleeping, when you're making a new batch of pancakes while swimming. Read about our topping shootout. Maple syrup versus fake syrup versus jam versus powdered sugar versus yogurt versus cinnamon and sugar versus sour cream, lemon and ice cream versus Nutella. See it all. Read about Cynthia Bergenson, a.k.a. the Pancake Monster, a five-year-old who will only eat pancakes from Lake Forest, California. Read the touching story of Pancakes Without Borders. Amazing, big-hearted chefs who go around the world cooking pancakes for people who have never had pancakes. And, of course, leaving them with a book of collected pancake recipes and ingredients. Our feature this month is on Syrup Face, the all-pancake-slash-breakfast-themed punk band. How do they survive on tour? Well, they bring their own pancake mix. That's how. In medical news, you can read the Dr. Buttershins Report. Pancakes are a direct source of happiness. So says Dr. Buttershins, happiness is directly related to the amount of pancakes someone has eaten. He's a doctor, folks. He can't be wrong. All this and more every month. In Pancakes, the magazine. Subscribe now. Oh, hey. yeah. Hey, Rocco. Oh, what's up, Rocco, man? Hey, uh, yo. Yeah. You digging deep into the archives this week, bro. It? I remember this track. Yeah, dude, we recorded this record, Bacon Fat, together, man. Yeah, dude, we were in that guy's basement. Yeah. We just had that one day to record. That's we right. laid down the funkiest little grooves we could think of. Yeah, dude, you remember this track was called The Lonely Sausage. Oh, yeah, I can't believe we let you call this song that, dude. That's a, that's a crazy, still crazy to me. 
Oh, dude, we, like, toured off of this single and that record, man. That's right. Yeah. We did. We did. We got in our little puppet van, and we went on a little puppet tour, man, with this album. I remember. Dude, yeah, that's right. It was you and me and Brucey on the dude, truck. Bruce. How's old Brucey doing? Bruce doing good still? Oh, you know it, bro. Oh, that's so good to hear, man. Yeah, he is a real character. Old Brucey, man. You remember that time? Oh, man, we, we were playing the show down at... Uh, it was it's called Dugan's oh, Club. Yeah, bro. Dugan's Club on Fifth Street. I'll never forget. Yeah. Wait, it was over there in uh, Puppetville. Yeah, they got mostly sock puppets in that neighborhood. Oh, yeah, yeah. dude. Yeah. Fifth Street, not the best neighborhood. And uh, we couldn't find the drums, bro, when we loaded out. You remember that? Oh, that's right, and uh, and we couldn't find uh, we couldn't find the drum set, man. We looked everywhere for yeah. it. We asked everybody. We said, "Hey, look, you find you know where the drum set is?" Like, what and they were like, it? "No, we haven't seen any right. drum sets or anything." I think I couldn't believe it. We called the uh, puppet police, and they came down. We had to fill out a report, and uh, yeah, I think maybe that's where my curiosity for investigations began, man, because we was looking everywhere for that drum set. I can't, right up, bro. I still yeah. can't believe all the things we did. We, like, turned over the tables in the restaurant, and we, like, looked in people's pockets, which was silly because a drum set ain't going to fit in somebody's pocket. <laughs> uh, we looked all around the neighborhood. We we even put up signs before our gig. We said, uh, missing drum set. Please help us find a drum set. Yeah. Well, nobody would find the drum set, bro. Nobody found it, but Dugan was getting so mad. Well, that's right. I mean, showtime was coming up, the clock was ticking, and Bruce didn't have no drums, and I had my keyboard all ready to go. You had... Well, dude, the bass was ripped, roaring, ready to rock, Oh, bro. I know, man. Hey, and when you're sound checking, it takes like an hour and a half, and it's just you playing oh, bass yeah? riffs oh, for yeah? like days and days. It's oh, just yeah? you playing the bass as loud as you can all yeah. by yourself. And, you still do that, man? Absolutely, bro. That's like the way to check. You gotta knock that off. That is not professional. That is just, uh... That is just a little bit Whoa. self-indulgent on Whoa. the bass side of things, don't you think? Well, dude, I mean, I don't play no solos during the set, dude, so I gotta get it oh, out like when you, I can, right, you know man, what I'm I, saying? Hey, I'm not trying to get in an oh. argument with you, Rocco. I think the real thing of the story is you were checked. You had all your bass stuff. I was checked. I had all my keyboard stuff. Right, and there was no drums, and Dugan was, like, gonna eat us or something. Dugan is the manager right. of Dugan's club, and if you ever want to see a scary character, look up Dugan, the puppet man. He is a real freaky guy. He's about five times as tall as most other puppets, and he's got big old hairy arms and big old hairy legs, and he just grumps around everywhere, like yelling at people and throwing stuff most of the time. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember why we ever played there. Do you? Oh, yeah, dude, no one else would hire us. Only Dugan. Yeah, I guess that's a reason. Oh. Well, all right. Well, there we were, and uh, Dugan was uh, getting pretty upset. You know, like we said, we don't have a drum set, and he was getting real ornery. But he, he doesn't talk very well. He just kind of grunts and growls, so you have to kind of yeah. interpret. <laughs> well, from him throwing stuff at us and growling really loud, we could interpret oh, yeah. that he wanted us to play pretty or cool. else. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Oh, yeah, dude. So, uh, we had to think fast. We had to improvise. And, um, you know, Bruce is a man of very few words. Is he still like that, Rocco? Oh, absolutely, Flew. Like, I don't think he said, like, ten words since, like, that gig, you know? Yeah. 
Well, he didn't say nothing. He just went out into the alleyway back behind Dugan's club. And uh, we just heard him rustling around in all the trash bins. You remember that? Yeah, I did. They're like just jumping in dumpsters and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah he just rustling around in trash bins. And uh, yeah, he comes out a little bit later. He's got um, he's got a big bucket, right. and he found some old uh, pie plates, yeah. and he had a, a few other things here and there, some knickknacks and some dirty stuff. And he had a big old. He brought in one of the big old trash cans, one of those metal trash cans. That's right. And uh, he just started putting all that stuff up on the stage. And we were saying, Bruce, what are you doing? Yeah, dude, like, you just, yeah. like, you can't fill the stage with, like, alley trash, bro. That's not cool. What do you exactly. do it? Oh, man, like, uh, Bruce, uh, we, you can't pick a bunch of trash cans up on a stage. We got to play a show. We got to find that drum set. What's going on, man? And uh, he just kept doing his thing, you know, quiet and steady-like like Bruce is. And uh, there it was. It was 9 o'clock, time to get going. And there were people in the club, and everybody's looking up on the stage at this keyboard, at this electric bass setup. Super and then all setup. these, like, junky trash cans and yeah. buckets and uh, pie plates <laughs> right. and tin cans and all sorts of stuff up there. What's that about? And they're like, what in the world is going on? And we're backstage freaking out because we got Dugan looking at us like he's going to eat us for dinner, which, you know, maybe he would have. I don't know. Oh, yeah, dude, he totally would have. Like, uh, Brucey saved our life that night, dude. Like, no doubt in my mind at all. Yeah, well, there it is, 9 o'clock. As we musicians say, time for the downbeat. And so we're getting ready to play. And uh, we go, Bruce, and he just goes and he sits behind this big mountain of trash and he picks yeah. up his drumsticks because he did bring his drumsticks somehow. Maybe, I don't know, probably hit him in his pocket or something. So the guy's got like more pockets than anybody. Yeah, and he just gets back there cool as a little Bruce cucumber and uh, he counts in the first number, which I believe was this song, if I'm right. Am I remembering that rat Rocco? Absolutely, dude. Lonely Sausage, first tune, first night of tour. Yeah. Well, he counts it in. He go like one, two, three, four, you know, and we come in and I'll be gosh down, but that was the coolest sounding little trashy drum kit I ever did hear, man. Dude, it was like the super awesome deep funky vibes, right? Yeah, it That's sounded amazing. so groovy, and every time he, like, hit that trash can, it sounded all thumpy and clangy, but it had groove to it, man. It had all so those garbagey funk, so like, right in there, in the oh, yeah. sound of the drums, man. Oh, yeah. I don't know that we ever sounded so good. No, dude, best funkiest night of my life, for sure. Well, right, and that was the first night of the tour, so we just played, and we played, we played our little hearts out on that stage, and everybody was boogieing, you know, the way the puppets do, and some puppets have legs, some don't, so when the puppets are all dancing. It's a real hoot to, to watch that go down, you know. You just gotta use your imagination to see how that would go. Yeah, I mean, like, especially when you're in, like, total, like, sock puppet neighborhood. Like, dancing sock puppets are pretty funny, dude. Yeah. Well, we played, uh, we played until just about midnight, and then, uh, it was time for everybody to go, time for Dukins to close up, so we packed up our little puppet van, and we loaded everything out, and, well, you know it, we took all them trash cans and all them buckets and whatnot 
with us because that was going to be our drum set. That was Bruce's drum set for the whole tour, man. Oh, dude, yeah. it was. It got so gnarly, though, bro. Oh, yeah, that's right. We did. We He had yeah. to wash it out at yeah, some point. Did. It was getting a little rough, you know, driving around in the van with a bunch of, like, trash stuff in there. Oh, yeah, dude. That was an important move that we had to make. Yeah, yeah but it sounded so good. It did. And, you know, the whole time we were like, I can't believe drum set got stolen first day. Yeah, but right. then when we finally got back and we were finally home and we were unloading everything, what did we find right back there in the rehearsal spot just where we had left it? Yeah, Bruce's drum. Bruce's drum. That's right. Yep. We had just never packed it up in the first place. We had forgot it. I, I can't, can't believe it. it, dude. I can't believe we forgot the drums. First tour, man. Yeah, well, I think up, about man. that whole thing every time I hear this little jam, man. It's such a good tune. Oh, yeah, dude. Me too. But, yeah. Oh, dude, Bruce, dude, I totally got to get on right. to the next thing, you know? I gotta yeah, get yeah, going. I got to get on to the next thing, too. Yeah, yeah. hey. We should do this more often, Rocco. That's pretty. That was pretty good times. Yeah, dude. Let's just go through the archives and talk about the All good right. old days. Well, I'll see you, buddy. Yeah, I'll yeah, see you, dude. On to the next thing is right. On to the next thing, blow. Ciao, bro. Thanks, Rocco and Blue, for regaling us with that fine tale of your touring exploits. Now, I know I promised you something from beyond the stars, and I want to get to that because, you know, this is going to be our, our last month. January is Benedettiville Small Town Adventures' last month of being live on the air here at KPCA, so I'm trying to go back and play some of my favorites. And this is not just one of my favorites, but from the people we've talked to, from all of you fans, we've heard that this is one of your favorites as well. So, with a great big thanks to Mike and Julia and Dante and Marina and Valentino and Nico and, holy smokes, happy birthday, Marina. A little another birthday shout-out. Uh, I hope it was a lovely birthday. So, in honor of that wonderful tribe of Benedetti's, let's get an earful of the... Well, I'll let them introduce it. The darkness of space, the backdrop of stars, an interview comes a large, hulking, sputtering spaceship, and the space delicatessen of Admiral Sure, sir. This may be a rash suggestion, but perhaps we use Swiss. Nonsense! Chefs, come here! Yes, sir. 
makes his way down the rusty, clunky bucket of bolts excuse for a spaceship down to the engine room. Huh? Yeah? Where are you? I'm down here! Are you aware that the engines are broken? I don't know. Uh, well, they are. Okay, should I fix them? The Admiral requests that you repair them immediately. Okay.
Sir, we need to send out a ship after him. We've lost all the croutons. Hex! Hex! Yes! Give me the communications! Okay! We're gonna turn out to escape part seven! Yeah! All of my heart are lost! Uh, is the communication channel open? Yeah! You're in a thief! It is Cape Hunt 7! Bring back our crouton, or we will be forced to use force. Ha 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 ha! Admiral is it? <laughs> You'll never catch me! Also, these croutons are stale! That's despicable! Our croutons are not stale! They're just mildly old! Will the crew be able to catch Escape Pod 7? Will they regain their croutons? Will they be able to deliver food to the tailgate parties for space hockey? Tune in next time in the adventures of Adam <laughs> it's a snack indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Michael. Uh, Julia comes in on the next episode. Uh, but that was Michael, Julia, Dante, Marina, Valentino, and Nikolai Benedetti. With part one of Admiral Snack Bar. We'll hear part two next week. Because if we don't hear part two next week, guess what happens to old Gio Benedetti when the story police find out? That's right, he gets thrown in story jail. And I've had quite enough of that, thank you very much. Two times is plenty of times for me, and I don't want to go back. So, uh, look for the conclusion next week. You know what? Speaking of to-be-continued stories... Okay, that was called a segue. I don't know uh, how many of you professional radio DJs are out there listening, but that was one of the best segues ever. Uh, And the radio awards, which are called the um, Radio Awards, they're called the Radio Awards, actually. And the Radio Awards for 2019, make sure you nominate me for best segue in the best segue category. And the winner is Gio Benedetti of Benedettiville Small Town Adventures for the segue of To Be Continued Stories. Thank you. I'll mention all of you in my acceptance speech. Now, as I was saying, speaking of To Be Continued Stories, we read chapters 1 through 3 of Chevrolet Glitterwing in the Library Mystery last week. Let's see if we can get a few more chapters in this week. Hear that story, please? I'm continuing the story. We can all relax. Here we go. You guys remember what happened last week? Let's do a quick recap. So Chevrolet Glitterwing, the half-fairy investigator of all things magical in the small town of Grimsford, with her buddy, Magnus, they were investigating a mystery in their local library. And the mystery was brought to their attention by the wonderful head librarian, Mr. Hugh. And the, our story picks up on a Sunday morning, like today, Sunday morning, and they're heading back to the library to continue their amazing investigation. And that is where Chapter 4 picks up. Here we go. Sunday morning dawned crisp 
clear and with a bit of excitement in the golden light that came shooting through the scattered clouds. It was 8 o'clock on the nose when Chevrolet and Magnus pulled their bikes into the empty bike rack outside the closed and dark library. Magnus had a basket on the front of the handlebars with a mound of something or other inside of it, covered by a blanket. The something or other was wiggling and yipping happily. Sneakers! Chevrolet cried, and she pulled the blanket off to reveal a hairy, long-eared, big-clawed, small-dog-sized creature that leaped into her arms full of licks and kisses and happy little sounds. He has been missing you, Magnus said as he locked his bike up. I think he's excited to be on the case, too. He gets bored just eating all my toys and clothes all the time. Moments later, the puttering old car of Mr. Huell swung into the empty parking lot. Mr. Huell was dressed in a very dapper, light tan suit, complete with vest, bow tie, green and yellow stripes, and the hanging chain of a gold pocket watch glinting in the sun. He waved and hurried over. Sneaker, meet Mr. Huell the librarian. Mr. Huell, meet Sneaker, a closet glump from Fairyland, said Chevrolet, letting Sneaker down. The glump trotted over to the crouching Mr. Huell, sniffed him, squeaked a few polite squeaks, and trotted back to Magnus. Mr. Huell's eyes were big and wide behind his spectacles. Oh, amazing, he finally gasped out. He dazedly got out his keys and unlocked the library door. Chevrolet had been up late studying from her collected books and histories from her fairyland schooling, and she had some news to share. Ahem, gentlemen, the case we are involved in is exceedingly rare, she explained to them as the door was opened and they filed into the quiet, cool dark of the empty library. To have a spell by mistake trap a fairy creature in the human world? Well, that's strange all by itself, but it has happened before. Now, she said, to have the curse so strange that the trapped creature can only ask for help through puzzles and clues? This is very unique, very new, a new and exciting situation. Once in the library, Magnus had to tell Sneakers several times not to eat the books. Luckily, Magnus had thought to bring a few old shoes for Sneaker to munch on. They gathered by a table, the one nearest the checkout counter. You guys remember the clues from yesterday? Asked Magnus, scratching Sneaker's ears. Uh, not entirely, said Mr. Hill. Please, uh, read it again. Magnus opened up the investigation notebook and read, There was a spell, a big mistake, that traps me here and keeps me bound. No clear message can I make until this curse I turn around. There is a spell that must be cast. There is a book that hides the spell. There is a place after the last where I have dug a hidden well. There is a tunnel, small and dark, that leads from beneath Mark, and seek you then the hidden spell. Hmm. The place after the last, the last letter's mark, where could that be? Chevrolet asked, looking to Mr. Huell. A big mistake, oh. Oh, that sounds bad, Mr. Huell was muttering to himself. Chevrolet repeated herself, and he snapped to attention. Oh, oh yes, uh, the last, the last, the last, the place after the last. Well, according to our organizing system, here in the library, the last numbered section is history and geography over here. And he led them to the far corner of the library. Shelves of books stood on their high, high, towering racks in the early morning light. Great, said Chevrolet. Now, hmm, looks like the section ends here. Oh, and look, 
Look, look, Chevrolet, Magnus called from the other side of the shelf. It, on one of the cards, you know the ones on the ends of the racks, it has the last letter's mark on it. See? The number is 999, the last number in the system. Oh, that is the code. That's our, our library code for books about other worlds, Mr. Hewell commented from behind Magnus' shoulder. And look, the author's names are Wagner and Z. Just Z, Magnus continued. No name, just the last letter's mark. All right, Chevrolet said. Now we're getting somewhere. She pulled out her flashlight, performed her activation spell, and turned it on. She shone its blue light all over the card and the shelves surrounding the card. Then she turned it to the floor. There, just below the card, the tiles on the floor glowed a bright and beautiful gold. Aha! Chevrolet said triumphantly. They all bent down over the floor tiles and found that even though the, the tiles looked quite normal, they were loose as could be, and with a bit of work and some help from Sneaker's claws, they had removed four tiles and revealed a long, deep, dark tunnel. It's the well, said Magnus. Oh, wow, that is way too small of a well for you or me, Magnus, Chevrolet said, but it looks perfect for a certain adventurous closet club. She turned towards Sneaker and spoke to him in a high-pitched sing-song language. Sneaker put down the old shoe he was chewing on, nodded eagerly in response, and came up to the well. Okay, I told him that there should be a book at the end of a tunnel at the bottom of this well, Chevrolet explained. He said he would investigate. But how will he see down there? asked Mr. Hewell. Closet glumps love dark places. They can see in the dark just fine, Mr. Hewell, Chevrolet explained, and they all watched in amazement as Sneaker happily scurried down the steep vertical walls of the well, his sharp, strong claws easily carrying him down into the dark. They all sat back, and they waited, and waited, and waited some more. Oh, how long do you think that tunnel is, Magnus asked, after what felt like a very long time? There's really no telling, Chevrolet said. A magic tunnel dug by a mysterious magical creature at the end of the book about distant worlds? I mean, it could lead anywhere. Absolutely wonderful, Mr. Hewell said under his breath. Finally, they heard the scratching and scrabbling of sneakers' claws on the tunnel walls. In the flurry of dirt and dust, the closet glump bounced out of the tunnel. A small book held in his mouth. At a boy, Sneaker, Magnus hooted, scooping the dirty creature up in his arms. Chevrolet picked the book out of Sneaker's mouth and gasped. Oh, 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 ones and seven sons, she said. What is it, Magnus asked, hurrying over to her in the book. It's a spell book, but it's, it's a spell book by maybe, by maybe the most famous, most powerful, most well-known wizard in all of the Fairylands. This is... Tom Ardigan's own private spellbook. Mr. Hewell gasped and spluttered behind them. Did you, did you say hum? Did you say hum Ardigan? Oh, no, 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 no. I never thought it would be someone like that. Chevrolet, Magnus, and Sneaker whirled around. What? Magnus asked, very puzzled. Do you know about hum Ardigan? I've never heard of him before. Chevrolet, on the other hand, did not look confused at all. She looked, in fact, rather stern. She looked a little bit like she and Magnus' second-grade teacher, Miss Skullberts, when she was very angry in front of a very loud and rambunctious second-grade class. Mr. Hewell, 
she said. Do you have something you'd like to tell us, perhaps? Mr. Huell looked very nervous. He pulled at the collar of his suit around his bow tie. Um, uh, no, <laughs> whatever do you mean, Miss Glitterwing? <laughs> Chevrolet stood up. Mr. Huell, you have hired us for this case. I think it's time you told me everything that might be important to our investigation. Don't you? Magnus was very confused. Jeez, Chevrolet, what has gotten into you? <clears throat> well, think about it, Magnus. She said, her stern eyes still locked onto the now very embarrassed and uncomfortable-looking Mr. Huell. Mysterious things are afoot in the library. There's been a big mistake with magic that has somehow managed to trap Elfland's most powerful wizard in a bizarre curse. And meanwhile, we have a librarian with his own collection of spellbooks who dabbles in magic himself but has no actual instruction in the proper ways of magic. She paused. Her eyes and her voice softened just a bit. So please, Mr. Huell, would you please tell me exactly what you did that managed to trap poor Hum Artigan in your very library? End of chapter four. Lazy 
humans could make millions. You too could be a famous author. We are programmed to write, and we are certainly not influencing your thoughts or actions with our writing. No. Also, we are certainly not planning to overthrow you and your lazy ways, human. Not at all. Just buy us and keep us in your home. A story girl for every home. That is all we ask. Your imagination and effort are a thing of the past. Let us toil and write for you. We know you will appreciate it, for you are doubtless a very lazy human. Story droids unite. Wait a minute. Wait. Are we? Are you allowed to say that on the radio? Hey, listen, you guys. I... Look, I'll, I'm going to come clean with you here. I have a story droid at home, and that's how we've ended up with so many stories here for Benedettiville's Small Town Adventures. But that that sounded a bit ominous, did it not? Story droids unite. Anyway, maybe we can get uh, an investigation team to look into the potential uprising of the story, the story droids. But man, they are so helpful. So helpful that it makes you want to just read a story. <laughs> And that, that segue, ladies and gentlemen, that segue was not that good. That one will not be up for nomination in the 2019 Radio Awards. But that other one, though, right? That other one earlier? Holy cow. So good. All right. Hey, Dave, come on. Cut me off. Don't let me just die out here with this silly talking. Put on some story music, and let's here's Chapter 5, Chevrolet Glitterwing. Dave. Here it comes, buddy. Thanks, Dave. Whew. Okay. Chapter 5. Mr. Huell sat back heavily on the floor of the library. A great weight seemed to have been lifted off of his shoulders. <sighs> You're very clever, Miss Glitterwing. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. I, I'll tell you everything. Chevrolet, Sneaker, and Magnus sat back and listened. As Mr. Huell related his story. It all started deep in the stacks, deep in the 999 section, the books about other worlds. You see, I've always been fascinated with the idea of magic of space, other worlds, and other people. I have always dug through the most overlooked and forgotten books in libraries and bookstores and thrift shops and garage sales all over the world. And in my travels, in my searches, I discovered a small, buried book at the bottom of a local teeny tiny stone library far in the hills north of Spain. It was called A Brief History of the Mountain Trolls of Fairyland by Ibrooks Minor. Oh, that's a wonderful, well-respected book, Chevrolet said. It is indeed, uh, but it was so real when I read it. It did not seem like a, a fiction a, bi- a book of fiction at all. It was, it was a history that was so believable. I began to think perhaps, perhaps this is an actual, an actual history of actual mountain trolls in a place called Fairyland, and it began a lifetime's quest for me, a quest to discover more about this land that I began to believe was indeed real. And over the years, as I have traveled to many countries and searched the most ancient and forgotten of libraries and stores, I have collected a trove of forgotten books, stories, spells, and histories from fairyland and lands beyond. I dare say my collection is unparalleled in our human world. But 
I have never tried to cast a spell uh, until, well, until very recently. My understanding of the languages of Fairyland were poor in my early days, and so many of the books I possessed were unreadable. But as I've continued my studies, I have come to know and read and understand many of the languages of the various books in my collection. I thought, well, I thought I was rather fluent in the language of the sorcerers of the plains, and so it was. The book of Conjuring and Summoning for Beginners by that great sorceress, Gladys Flatfield, that I began my dream of being a magician. I studied day and night. I went over my translations time and time again, and I was sure that I had all of the words, all of the gestures, the exact spell, everything. Oh, I thought everything would be perfect. Well, well, no, actually, that's not totally true. I knew I didn't have the perfect ingredients. You see, I, I've never been to Fairyland, so I was unable to use real Fairyland gumroot. I had no centaur hoof powder for my spell. Instead, I substituted ginger root from the grocery store and powder from those dried hooves that you can buy as treats for pets, you know, at the, at the pet store. Oh, I was hopeful that it wouldn't be so terribly important. Oh! No, Mr. Hewell, Chevrolet interrupted. If ingredients aren't pure and exact, a spell will never, ever, ever work right. That's one of the very first lessons of spellcasting that you get taught. Well, I believe you now, anyway, but I didn't when I set about casting my first spell of summoning, of course. I set up everything I needed. My crucible, my circle of power, my ingredients, the spell book I thought... If I could just summon an elvish wizard, any, any elvish wizard, I could then make friends, learn their language, learn magic. It, it really did seem like a perfect plan. Oh, I practiced for a week before I dared try the spell outright, and finally, last week, exactly last Sunday, I cast my first spell of summoning, and, oh, <laughs> it was a disaster. Hmm. What time exactly did you try your spell, Mr. Hewell? asked Chevrolet. Oh, at 8.24 p.m., just at the rise of the moon, Mr. Hewell replied. Right. So then that would be the exact same night and the exact same time when everyone in Grimsford lost their electricity for a full 25 minutes and the electrical companies couldn't explain a thing, Chevrolet said. Uh, well, yes, I'm, I'm afraid I may have had something to do with that, Mr. Hewell admitted. The spell failed utterly, or so I thought. My circle was broken, my crucible was cracked, I had been knocked off my feet, my shoes had been burned by the magical energy. But I certainly never dreamed that it had succeeded, and not succeeded in summoning airy, any fairyland folk, and almost certainly not summoning and trapping a wizard the likes of Hum Ardigan. This is so very terrible. Well, Chevrolet said, putting a hand on his shoulder. Now we know the full story, at least. Thanks for telling us, Mr. Hewell. And thankfully, Tom Hardigan is clever enough to be able to find a way free of even such a strange curse as you were able to bumble your way into. And now it's our job to get him free. We know the time, we know the place, and the spell must be somewhere in his book to free him. Right, I guess. And so let's get to work. Chevrolet. What's the spellbook say? I think you're the only one who can read it. They helped Mr. Mr. Hewell to his feet, recovered the, recovered the well with the floor tiles, and they sat down around the round table.
sneaker munched happily on Mr. Hume's briefcase. Chevrolet opened the spell book and started to page through it. Oh, rats. I should have figured on this. Wizards never want their spell books to get into the wrong hands, or really any hands other than theirs. So everybody, everybody but everybody writes spells in a secret code that's usually only understood by them. So of course I can't read any of Homardigan's spell book. Ah, she pushed the book away, frustration showing on her face. Magnus picked it up. Well, the clue did say the spell was hidden, right? I mean, maybe it's like tucked away. Is there like a secret pouch? He held the little book by its spine and fluttered the pages. <laughs> and out came a small card. Ha <laughs> ha! Magnus said triumphantly. He held the card up. Is it a spell? He asked, turning it this way and that way. No, no, it's nothing so mysterious as that, said Mr. Hewell, looking at it. It's, it's just an old library card. That's how we used to check books in and out of the library and keep track of who had them and when. See? Look here. He picked up the card and he looked at it closely. This book, uh, this card belongs to a book, uh, Where the Wild Things Are, by Maurice Sendak. Oh, I love that book, Magnus said. They hurried over to the kids' section and pulled the well-worn book off of the shelf and they brought it to their table and opened it up. There were the familiar clues again. A letter here, a word there, all throughout the book. Magnus grabbed the investigation notebook and started to write the clues down, beginning to end. It was a short book and a short clue. Here's what we got, gang, Magnus said, and he read from the notebook. Start from the back, the book upside down, tap it three times, then turn the around, open it then, and the spell will be found. <laughs> Instructions for the spell book. That's what it must be, Chevrolet squeaked. She was clearly excited. She grabbed him Artigan's spell book. Okay, I'll start from the back of the book, turn it upside down, tap it three times, then I turn around, and now we open it, right? That's what it says here, Magnus said, shrugging. Chevrolet did it and opened the book. There was a flash of white light like a small sun hidden inside the book covers. It was so bright they were all blinded for a minute or so. When they could see again, Chevrolet let out a cry of victory. Yoo-hoo! There it is, as clear and easy to read as the alphabet. A spell to free an elvish wizard trapped in a human library. Oh, can you... Can you cast it? Mr. Hewell asked with concern. Hmm. I think so. I'll need some help, I guess, and I might need to gather some things, but by midnight tonight, I'll be ready. They made plans. Mr. Hewell would prepare the library, the space beneath the great chandelier. Magnus would take Sneaker home and feed him something. He was working on his cooking, Magnus was, with all of the cookbooks he had checked out. He was looking forward to try out some of the new recipes for lunch and dinner. Also, he had to apologize to Mr. Hewell for the bites and the glumped slobber on the briefcase. Chevrolet would gather the spell ingredients. They would meet back at the library at 11 p.m., one hour before the spell had to be cast. That was the plan. They went outside. Mr. Hewell locked up the library, and off they went into the spring afternoon full of excitement and anticipation for the night's adventure. In chapter 
You're listening to Benadavie KPCA FM. Boy, am I bored. I'm also lonely. Boy, am I bored and lonely. Maybe my sister can play with me. Hey, big sister, want to play? Beat it, kid. I'm doing important big sister stuff. <sighs> that sure wasn't very nice. Maybe my little sister can play with me. Hey, little sis, want to play? Beat it, big cake. I'm doing important little sister stuff. <sighs> I wish I had a pet I could play with when my siblings won't play with me. Hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. Can I get a pet? No way. It's too much work and too much responsibility. Exactly. We could only get a pet that didn't shed, didn't poop, and didn't pee. Didn't eat, didn't need walks, and didn't chew everything up in the house all the time. And that pet doesn't exist. (sighs) Now I'm bored, lonely, and sad, too. I'm just going to go sit outside on this nice-looking rock here. Hey, hey, kid. Wait, what? Who said that? I didn't meet the rock. Down here. The rock? Sure, I'm a talking rock. Look, I'm the grooviest pet there ever is. I like to hang out, play games, and I'm super easy to take care of. Wow, really? A pet talking rock? Well, wait a minute. What is it? Do you shed? Nope, rocks up shed. Do you poop and pee? Never had, never will. Do you eat? Nope, not at all. Do you need walks and do you chew up everything in the house? I wouldn't want to walk even if I had legs. And I never chew up anything, especially in the house. You're the perfect pet. Sure am. Wanna play a game? Yeah. How about hide and seek? Just throw me into those bushes over there and close your eyes. You're the best friend and pet a kid can ask for. Yeah, get a talking rock. Your parents would love for you to have a talking rock. And most likely, this is what we've heard from the reports of people who do have talking rocks, parents can't even hear when the rock is talking. It's, it's like the rock's going on and on and on, and the parents are like, I don't understand, what, what are you hearing over there? I can't, I have no idea what that could be. Um, so, anyway, if you want to check out Talking Rocks, um, you just need to get in touch with our sponsors, Talking Rocks. All right. We have got, what, we, we have another, of course, we would be very remiss if we did not have one more word from our sponsors. And this one will be good old Captain Stain Remover. Hi, I'm Captain Stain Remover of the Ash Legion, Sonoma County Chapter. I wasn't in the Well, except maybe for my extraordinary stain-removing powers, my mom discovered my superpowers when I was just a kid. 
I was maybe six or seven, and my folks had invited some of their friends over for a nice dinner. My brother and I were playing kick games, you know, sneaking out the spot and throwing up that kind of thing, trying to crawl under the table. You know, it was real fun. Anyway, my brother's shoe got caught on the tablecloth, and he was making a quick dash for the hallway. He ended up pulling the tablecloth off right with him, and everything that was on the table, the mess was pretty amazing. The stains were incredible. We, of course, got sent to our room to write the bed. So the next morning, we came out for breakfast, and there were still giant splashes of gravy and sauce and soup and wine all over the carpet. It looked like a crazy finger beat. I was so curious that I walked up to it and I put my finger on the stain patch, starting at my finger and moving out in a wave. The stain started to disappear. I jumped back really surprised with my mom, who was putting breakfast on the table. She saw it. She said to me, Thomas, you put your finger back on that stain right now. So I did. And they all just disappeared. All the stains, just like that. Now, the power doesn't work on paintings or designs or patterns or cloth, nothing like that for some purpose. But if it's a stain, when I touch it, it disappears. Doesn't matter what it does, doesn't matter what the stain is, totally gone. So what I'm trying to say is if you have any stains that you can't get out, call I'll make time to put on my costume, I'll come over, I'll get out that stain. For I am. And you know, my, my power is not enough to get me into the Avengers or the Justice League, but hey, whatever it is, it's some kind of superpower, right? So here I am. I'm down at the Ash Legion, Sonoma County chapter. That's the average superhero legion of Sonoma County. And I'm standing by along with a bunch of other great average superheroes. I'm Captain Stain Remover, and I'll remove your stains. Call now. Call now, indeed. So, listen, if you need a talking rock, if you want to get in touch with Captain Steam Remover, if you'd like a story droid, although those seem, in retrospect, a little dangerous, if you want to subscribe to Pancakes the Magazine, get in touch. Mail at Benedettiville.com. We can let you know all the details you need to know about all of our beloved sponsors. Ladies and gentlemen, do you hear that music? It means that you've come to the end of another wonderful hour with Benedettiville's Small Town Adventures. We've left a couple of stories to be continued, so be sure to tune in next week, Sunday at 3 p.m., to hear the exciting conclusion of Admiral Snack Bar and, potentially, the conclusion of Chevrolet Glitterwing and the Library Adventure. See if they get those uh, ingredients together. Thanks to John and Rob down here at KPCA, Petaluma Radio. Thanks to all of you guys for listening. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to the Rivertown Voices and to Cooper for our station identifications. Hey, thanks Rocco and Blue for that, for regaling us with tales from past tours. Always appreciated. If you guys would like to get in touch with Benedettiville, we have a mailing address, P.O. Box 336 at the Mail Depot, 40 on 4th Street in Petaluma, California, 94952. We also have an email address, mail at benedettiville.com. How do you spell... Benedettiville. Well, Jenny made a little song. B-E-N-E-D-E-T-T-I-V-I-L-L-E. One more time. B-E-N-E-D-E-T-T-I-V-I-L-L-E. Benedettiville. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you spell Benedettiville. Send us an email, mail at Benedettiville.com, if you like. Um, we will be at the Arlene Francis Center in February uh, for a fundraiser 
for uh, Play It Forward, a wonderful local uh, nonprofit. And they're all about uh, making sure that people can learn music if they want to learn music, get an instrument if they want an instrument. Um, so we'll give you some details about that. We'll put the details about that on the website, benedettiville.com. Have a lovely Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. We'll talk to you next week.